Scott. Yes, Adam. I don't want to get shushed again. Shh. Coming to you almost live from the Dusty Index Card Archive of the Edmonton Public Library. This is the Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. We are your quiet, very quiet hosts. Yeah, yeah. The reason we're at the library is because we're going to be talking about libraries throughout the show. That's right. Uh, Especially with our guest, Kyle Marshall, Master Master Librarian. librarian. Yeah. (laughs) We didn't practice that. It just it just sort of happened. It happens naturally when you're talking about him. Yeah, he uh, he demands a Greek chorus <laughs> say his name and title. So uh, yeah, we're going to talk about why the hell libraries still exist and, and and what he's doing to make libraries exciting. What do librarians do? Yeah, to make the library as vibrant a community space as it remains. Because that's what it is. Yes. Have you been? Have you actually been in a library lately? Uh, not lately, I'm going to say. It's been a little while, but uh, I know that they're still around. They exist. They can be made useful. That's right. If you have a free library card from the Edmonton Public Library. They did not pay us to say that. Nope, they did not. But Wish you... they had, but they didn't. <laughs> we should have talked to them first. And we should have. We always do this. Um, yeah, no, so we're going to talk about libraries later on, but, uh, but right now, I want to talk about Star Wars. It's almost that time. It is very nearly time for the seventh film to come out. The hype train is full steam. And it seems like it's been nonstop. Pretty much. I don't, like, there's, every time there's a commercial in Asia, someone looks at it and goes, is there new footage in this commercial? Yep. And then that's all over the internet, like 10 seconds later. By the time the film is released, every moment of footage will have been cobbled together. You'll be able to piece together the whole movie. Yeah, on some YouTube channel. But uh, yeah, so that's Except for anything with Luke in it. That's right. Luke is the only thing you will not be able to see. Which has given rise to a great deal of speculation. Weird speculation. So you were telling me that people are saying, because Luke's not in any of the trailers that we can see, he must be a Sith Lord. That is that is one of the prevalent rumors currently circulating. There's no other explanation for that it. Luke is not in the trailer, ergo, he must be evil. He's, he's evil. Because in spite he... of the fact that all of the other villainous characters have been shown in the trailer. <laughs> Even Darth Vader's melted face. That's right. Um, so, so a lot of people thinking he might have been a dark Jedi, but we were talking about this before the show and you believe Scott that that is impossible. I, I think that it undermines the journey that Luke took in Return of the Jedi. Spell it out for me. All right. Luke in Return of the Jedi flirts with the dark side. He, he, he walks down a dark path and, and very nearly gives in to the dark side in the end. But then he goes, no, I reject the dark side. And he turns his back on it and walks back to the light. And in doing so, shows his father that redemption is, is possible, that the, the dark side is not a one-way street, and, and in a way leads Vader back to the light. That's Luke's journey in Return of the Jedi. So for him to, in the, inter, uh, in the intervening years, yeah. to have been like, no, you know what? Dark side is totally awesome. I'm totally down with the dark side. That would undermine that journey. Okay, now, now we, we did talk about the fact that Yoda said, if you start down this path, forever will it dominate your destiny. 
And your argument was, well, that's just Yoda's flowery way of saying you're fucked. But also Yoda's been wrong before. <laughs> Yoda has been wrong before. Yoda famously led the Jedi Order to its destruction. So I'm just saying that maybe he's not the be-all and end-all of the answers. Um, It's one of those cases of someone being really super old that that you have to respect what they say. But Luke also, in a way, refutes the old Jedi Order's uh, staid dogma. Yeah. Uh, by by even even to Yoda's face, an Empire Strikes Back. Yoda's like, you can't go save your friends because you can't give in to your passion. And Luke's like, screw you, I'm going to go save my friends. And he does, and he's a hero for it. The old Jedi Order wasn't all peaches and roses. They had their problems, and Luke is is a new generation of Jedi. Now, I'm thinking that that, unfortunately, perhaps led to him making mistakes in the intervening years. And I won't, I won't go on to say my speculation. It's good, though. But, uh, but suffice to say that I don't... I don't believe that Luke will turn out to be evil. Yeah, I don't in either. The, in the new trilogy. But I do believe... I, I'm. If it happens, hey, I'll, I'll be eating some delicious crow, I'm sure. Sweet, sweet crow. But uh, I don't believe that that is the direction we'll be going. So I think I, I agree with your theory, knowing what it is, and, and at the risk of potentially spoiling it, we're not going to talk about it here, but I do believe that what Yoda said is correct. I do think the dark side is always going to be a big part of Luke's life. I don't think that means he's evil, but I think it's there. Well, it has been literally since his birth. So there you go. Because so his he, mom was killed by a dark Jedi, and this who just, also happened to be his dad. This just goes to tell you that, that class matters in the Star Wars universe. That's right. It's a caste system you can't get out of. You can't even lightsaber your way out of it. it and lightsabers are awesome. They're so cool. I yeah. want one so badly. And this is from a guy who really likes Star Trek. Yes, Oh man, like don't get me wrong. Like I I love Star Trek. If if Star Trek was a person, I would I would take it out for a nice seafood dinner and try and marry it. But but it's it's just, you know, I I do enjoy Star Wars lots. I mean, I must watch the original trilogy at least once a year, if not twice a year. So, am I excited? Fuck yes. I was trying not to get on the hype train because I've been, I've been hurt before. You've been burned, I know. Uh, but uh, I, I admit seeing the old cast come out and do the daytime talk show circuit and talk up the movie. And I mean, yeah, okay, they're being paid to do that. But still, you can't help but be like, I'm getting kind of hyped. You know what? It's hard not to. A little bit. Like so, I was talking about how everyone's well, and the the young cast and the and the old cast seem pretty excited about yeah, the movie, and, yeah. and it's hard not to get infected by that. Yeah, for sure. Like when when the people who are making it are jacked, I'm jacked. But in spite of the fact that I made fun of people for looking for every single piece of footage they can find that's been released in trailer form, you've been seeking it out on the internet. I'm absolutely one of those people. Yeah, every so there's a there's actually a channel on YouTube, and I don't remember what it's called right now, but. Um, there's there's a dude or a couple of dudes and some ladies, I don't know who's fucking doing it, but but uh, every time there's new footage released, they try to, to put it together, all of it together with the previous footage they already have in sequence of how they think the story's going to be told. And so, you know, you've got these sort of four-minute trailers. And, you know, I'd watch that like 20 times. And they've probably got, at this point, like a 20-minute movie yeah. put together. Yeah, and I'm just like, fuck, I can't wait to see the whole this whole movie. So I'm really excited about it. But I didn't really jump on the, on the, on the train that was all about buying early, early tickets. Like, the, you know how people were like, that day when they went on sale, it was just madness? 
I wasn't one of those people. No. But I did buy, I do have tickets to go. I do not. You yet. don't. And what's your plan? Like The plan is to go see it opening week sometime. Okay. And I, I'm fairly confident it's not going to be sold out for a solid week. No, I don't think so. Because at some point, people have to go to school and work. Um, maybe not, <laughs> not school, you, actually. Though. School might be out by that <laughs> yeah, point for the, for the winter break. But, uh, but uh, the, the plan is to go opening week sometime. Not opening weekend. It'll be stupid busy. It's already practically sold out. Yeah. Well, why subject myself to that? Uh, you know, it's I can avoid the internet for a couple of days and then go see it at my leisure. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to avoid the internet over the Christmas time too. A little easier. Got to focus on friends and family, that sort of thing. Which brings us to our next conversation topic. Yes, Christmas is coming. It is. That means we have, as the Starks say, Christmas is coming. They do say that every year around this time. Actually, um, Christmas is coming. That means that this is the second last episode of The Unknown Studio. That is correct. It's a sobering thought, truly. In that we're both sober and I'm talking painfully about sober yeah. right now. Like, it's just ridiculous. Have you, have you given much thought to the fact that... To a post-Unknown Studio world? No, yeah, I have not. I, neither have I. Because it seems, it seems impossible to me. My mind cannot fathom, like, this, like the singularity, my mind cannot imagine what lies beyond. It's just, it's just nothingness, a vacuum of nothingness. Yeah. That's what you're going to feel when we stop making this show. The good news is you'll always be able to download episodes of The Unknown Studio on the iTunes Music Store. That's right, because they're on the internet, and the internet has a long memory. We're not taking them down. No. No, no. Mm. That's good coffee. <laughs> um, Which you've just uh, shared with the world. Yeah. We, you, well, you just, actually, you just shared the experience with all of our listeners. So... We at work used to have this one cup coffee maker machine, not a Tassimo. Like a Keurig. S- something like that, except on a much more industrial a grand scale. scale. Yeah. And, uh, and we recently got rid of it and we're using something that's much simpler. And I have to say, it's fantastic. I have a Keurig. How do you like in my home? Do you like it? Yeah. I. I'm the only one who drinks coffee in my house. Oh, really? Uh, Anita does not drink the coffee. She's not fond of coffee. She is not fond of coffee. Um, so I'm the only one who drinks coffee. And for the longest time, I wouldn't at home because it's just wasteful to make a full pot of coffee and then just have one or two cups. Yeah. So I, I ended up getting a Keurig. And it is uh, so much easier because then I just make a cup of coffee when I want a cup of coffee. And I, I have some refillable K-cups as well, which you put your, I your Folgers in or whatever, and you stick that in there. Didn't know they had those. Yeah. It's smart. Yeah. Uh, it's less wasteful. I don't use it as often as I probably should because I enjoy having a variety of K-cups to sample. Sure. Throughout the, throughout the weeks that I go between going out and buying more of them. But, but coffee's on offer at work, right? Like you guys oh, make. Yeah. yeah. I, I drink we also have a Keurig machine at work as well. Oh, no way. So that's just kind of how that worked out. How much coffee do you say you drink on an average day? Two cups. That's it? On an average day. Like, are you, do you really police your coffee consumption? I do because, uh, and having recently had a checkup with the doctor, I was told I should probably cut down on my coffee intake. So I, I try to go around two cups. I have, in the, in the time that we've spent today recording podcast stuff, I've had three cups of coffee, and I'm not going to lie. And there are some mornings where I'm I'm up very early for a work shift, and I have four cups of coffee. Just yeah. and it, by the time I've had my third one, I realize that I've been at work for four hours because I've just woken up. <laughs> like that's 
That's some of my mornings are like that. You needed a critical mass of caffeine in your bloodstream in order to have to the, jumpstart my system to have the realization. Yeah. Now you did mention that uh, that you went to the doctor. Yes, I have a humorous story to relate about going for my uh, physical this week, my oh. annual physical, which I missed a year ago. So, is it a two finger story? No, it's not. Although there was concern because I am reaching that age, sure, where eventually. Uh, that's that's going to happen, and my relationship with my doctor is going to change <laughs> fundamentally. But I went in, and uh, as part of the preface to this, my doctor has changed clinics, and I haven't actually been to a checkup at the new clinic. Yeah. Um, so I went in, and the uh, the nurse or the or the medical technician or whatever uh, did the usual, you know, check your weight, check your height, uh, check your blood pressure yeah. thing, and then ushered me into the uh, examination room. And was like, so just take off your jeans, but everything else is fine. And so there's, you know, that, oh, is this, is this going to be the one? Is that why I'm being told to take off my jeans? But no problem. Very professional. I, uh, I, I stripped down to my underpants uh, and my T-shirt, obviously, because I didn't need to take that off, and wait for the doctor to come in. The doctor comes in, and she uh, asked me the, the barrage of questions, you know, that you usually get, and then uh, does the usual standard checkup stuff, a few pokes and prods on my belly to make sure there are no pains, checks my breathing, checks my eyes, my ears, my my throat, and then uh, writes me up a thing for some blood work to go and get done, and then basically that's the end of the examination. And after she'd left the room, I went, wait a minute, there was no part of that examination that required me to not be wearing pants. (laughs) Like, why was I even told to take my pants off? That was just... did did the doctor and the nurse have a bet to see how many people they could just tell to take their pants <laughs> oh off and would God. do it without asking questions? That is incredible. It's just no part of the investigation required me to not be wearing pants. And there I was sitting like a fool in my underwear. Did you feel did you feel relieved or did you feel sort of robbed of an experience? Uh a little of both, really. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's, here's the thing though. And usually it's usually around 40. And I'm still younger than that, but close enough now that, that it could be sprung on me anytime. That's we'll put true. It that way. Yeah. And uh, part of me is just like, I just kind of want to get it over with. You want that first experience yeah. so you, you know what to expect? Kind of, yeah. But on the other hand, you, you still have the trepidation. You're like, uh, I don't really want that to, to happen. Yeah. The last time I did a physical. So cold and impersonal. <laughs> like if it was, if it was someone who I, I you know, loved dearly, maybe, but. Do you think that maybe that this is sort of them um, building up to that moment? They're just trying to get you accustomed it's just, to... It's like baby steps yeah, exactly. along the way. So the first time you'll take off your pants, we're going to do this over the course of three years. The next yeah. time you're going to take off your pants and your underwear. There you go. And the last time you'll wish you didn't remember the first two times. <laughs> Or they were. No, you you were going to regale a story of your own. Yeah, no. The last time I, I got a physical with my doctor, um, he uh, he did the most of the things. I, I did. There was a requirement for me to remove my pants for very good reason. I will say, and nothing having to do with my backside because I then I did ask him. I was like, you know, do you have to? Do you have to? Is this? Do you have to check? Is this the time? Is this? Are we? Is this where our relationship is progressing? And and uh, well, he's like he sort of lo- like looked at me qui- like quizzically, and then it looked at the chart. He's like, well, do, do you have a family history of like colon cancer or anything like that, or colon problems? And I was like, no. And he's like, then don't worry about it. Well, but, and here's the thing: my my father did pass away from that very colon cancer. That very thing, yeah. But 
my genetic history is a big question mark. That's right. Uh, and so there's there's like there was that talk a couple of years ago. Uh, shortly after my dad had passed and I went in for my physical and I was like, this happened to my father. And the doctor was like, oh, does, should we, does, and it's like, well, no, because here's the thing. And <laughs> uh, Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Scott crash landed in a uh, town called Smallville yep. some years ago and was raised by uh, the bourgeois. That's correct. Um. <laughs> and uh, I have... Several bizarre alien powers yeah. fueled by the uh, yellow sun. However, it's worth noting that I use them entirely for procrastination. Yes, yeah. Um, he is a very gifted video game player. <laughs> uh, only when the sun's out, though. Yeah, that uh, night falls and it's just it, all thumbs. Just yeah, total clumsiness. Yeah. About the best. I hand do. coordination just <laughs> plummets. Yeah, I, you have to do just tower defense games because those are easy on the. Uh, the iPhone, but but the, you know when I t- when I talked to my doctor about this, he was looking at me like, "Fuck you, man! What's your rush?" <laughs> like, <laughs> like he's just like pervert. Yeah. <laughs> What's your game, friend? Yeah, no, he was he was not impressed, and and that was like I had switched doctors recently because um, my family doc from when I was a kid lives way on the West End, and well, and it was the same uh, for me. I. I see my current doctor entirely because my my original family doctor is way up in St. Albert. And it's bad enough to have to go up there once a year for my dentist. Ugh, I know. So. I do the same thing with the West End. I have to... But I love my dentist. I also love my dentist. My, so. my dentist once told me... He, so he went to school at the University of Winnipeg or... Uh, yeah, or University of Manitoba. Um, and I don't know why I remember this, but he was like, yeah, I was the youngest dentist to, uh, sorry, when I graduated, I was the youngest ever dentist to graduate from that program. Huh. Yeah. It's got a weird point of pride. But like, he's such a, he's such a chilled out dude that like, I'm always like, that can't be true. That, that's impressive. And you're a hilarious, weird dude who's a pretty okay dentist. I mean, I've had two, so I mean, what do I know? But I was like, I don't know. He just—he's too much of a goofy guy to be, to be, at that level to have that accolade. I guess I don't know why I think that. I, I imagine that I made it up. Fair enough. Sometimes yeah. the, the mind plays tricks. Uh, Nita and I are lucky to have switched to a doctor who's like roughly our age. Oh, good. Um, so they will die with you, basically. Yeah. We <laughs> ideally we never have to change family doctors. Uh, she moved to Sherwood Park. And we were like, we're just, we'll, we'll go with you. That's, like, not, that's, that's not that far from where you're living. No. I mean, we're, we're southeast, so it's not that far a drive. It's yeah. not like going to see my dentist. Yeah, no, no that's Which crazy. is like trekking to Mordor and back sometimes. <laughs> I like have to get, I have to make sure that I filled up my, my gas tank before I go to the dentist. Because <laughs> you never know what's going to happen out there. You never know. That's right. You could get waylaid by some highwayman <laughs> and then steal all your gas. <laughs> Which, you know, in that case, I guess there's nothing really to fix... Having a full tank of gas if a highwayman is going to come That's and steal right. it from you. So Now, enough talk about buttholes, because, <laughs> um, you know, not everyone's that interested. In, well, unless they are. Nope, not hearing anybody. <laughs> um, so city council passed its budget this past week. Yep. And um, now I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up, but I think that administration was initially recommending a 4.8% tax increase for this year. That sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was another what I think a lot of people would have considered um, a significant increase. Another, another significant. Yeah, increase. unfortunately, it takes a lot of money to provide services to Edmontonians, especially in a city that's still growing. Yeah, and I, 
I mean, I, I, I've never actually asked someone this, but I've often been tempted when they are like, uh, I don't want to pay taxes. And I'm just like, okay, well, what services can you do without? Yeah, exactly. Like what, what then should the city not provide to you? Do, and you, do you not want snow removal? Do you not want... Uh, your neighborhood fixed up? Your neighborhood repaired? Do you not want... Libraries? Yeah. It's, uh, it's not an easy exercise that council has to go through, especially, especially this year when so many people in Alberta are, are out of work. Yeah. And, and struggling, you know, with their own bank accounts. Yeah. And then city council is being asked by a variety of different groups to well, spend Well, it's not like city money. council is just, is just arbitrarily deciding we want to spend golden microscopes for everybody. No. No, they, uh, they legitimately get approached by all the different, uh, like all the different departments, branches within the city, yeah. and and they all make their pitch on why we need more money. This and, and and all of them, all of them, right across the board, ask for more money. Yeah, and it's not even it's not even just like you know the little organizations within the city or even at arm's length of the city. They get people like um, the Galleria Project coming to them and asking them to give them land or to to help them build the, this. New development, or the, th- or the the uh, ice district people, yeah, asking for more support with uh, with what's going on over there. Yeah, I mean, so there's always someone or some group of people coming to the city with their handout, asking for more. Yep, and uh, and city council had to make some really tough decisions this year, mm-hmm. and one of those decisions, and it's always a, a seems like a heated discussion, is um, the police budget. Yep, the police always come asking for more money. And they never get all the money that they were asking. No. They were asking for $15 million this year Yeah, for additional everything. Like officers, equipment, everything. Yep. And they were given three. Hmm. They were given one-fifth of what they were asking for. And, but, but, oh, here's what's different about this budget is that they actually set the increases for the next three years as well. So I think it's 3.4% in 2016 and 2017. And then something higher, like four something in 2018. And that's just to try and give these, all these different groups within the city and without the city. Uh, uh, some idea yeah. of what they can look forward to. So that they're not constantly, like year to year, wondering what, what the future is going to bring. Will it come this year? Will it come? It's yeah. ridiculous. At least, now they have, they, at least now they have a little bit of uh, um, direction going yeah. forward. A little more confidence. Predictable funding is like, it's something that I think a lot of, organizations even take for granted. I mean, the, look at the even, economy. Like yeah. a lot of businesses are, they have to lay people off because they don't have predi- predictable revenue. That's right. And, and that, you know, so if you, if you every year, every fucking year you have to go and beg, you're, it, it limits your potential. So even if, even if you're not getting as much as you might like over the next three years, at least you can look three years ahead and go, okay, now at least we know what we can look forward to for the next few exactly. years. Exactly. So we can plan for things. Here's the thing that drives me nuts about the budget conversation. You alluded to it earlier. Um, I don't want to pay more taxes. Okay, well, what services do you want to cut? And then this idea that if, if, if the tax rate is increasing by 3.4%, that everyone's taxes are going up that much. They're not. No. In fact, most people's taxes, property taxes, will not go up that much. No. Because um, that, that's the... They they set the number on the average home. It's not even average. They call it typical. They call it the typical household. There you go. And so and and if you go to the city's website or yegcitybudget.ca, I think they sort of go into detail about 
what typical household means, but it's not the same as average. And it means it doesn't mean your taxes are going up by 3.4% next year. So just remember that. And remember snow removal, road repair, um, rec centers, libraries, a lot of stuff gets funded through we, property taxes. We as members of the club, that is Edmonton, yes, have to pay our dues we do. so that our club can continue to be a nice place. And I, for one, am happy to pay my share. Yeah. And I, I hope that you, our listeners, are also willing to pay your share. And that's not to say that, that we shouldn't hold the people who spend our money accountable for how they spend it. But we also have to accept that they need our money in order to keep our clubhouse looking nice. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, know that it's been a tough year for a lot of people. Uh, I personally know a lot of folks who've been laid off. It's been quite terrible. Uh, I'm fortunate to still be working. I'll be totally honest with you. Um, I think a lot of people are. I probably feel that way. But like what's scary for me is I used to work for Atco Electric. Um, so they're a regulated utility. The way that that works is they go they go before um, a a panel every three years and ask that panel to set their rate, the what you get charged on your electricity bill, and um, they they argue for an acceptable rate of return uh, on their on their investment because they are publicly traded, but they're you know yeah. Um, so they they've got pretty stable revenue, you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, but Antco, the, the entire group of companies laid off something like 400 people a couple of weeks ago and, and public utilities that are sort of this, they're almost not, I don't want to say immune to what happens in the economy, but they don't feel it as acutely as like oil field services companies do. But when, the, when a company like that lays off 400 people, you know, that, that folks are hurting. So, so, um. So yeah, that's not to be insensitive about people's situations. No, with, absolutely not. It's you know, but uh, but we have to pay our fair share. We have to pay our fair share, and that goes for the province and the feds. That's also true as well. And I guess all that stuff's sort of changing too, A like little tax bit. structures and stuff. Yeah, probably won't affect you and me. No, we're both poor, <laughs> yeah, so we're I'm, destitute. We're not. Uh, we're probably not going to be paying as much as some people. Yeah. Around the province. Yeah. There w- now, there was a speech from the, f- the throne uh, the week before this episode uh, comes out. Correct. Um, and I was, I was, you know, there was a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of stuff that wasn't very surprising. Well, I, I would go as far as to say there wasn't really anything that was surprising, because it was mostly stuff that the liberals... Campaigned on. Campaigned on, yeah. You know what I did like, though? That it was still explicitly mentioned in the throne speech that they were going to legalize marijuana. Yeah, legalize, which is, which is a bold stance to take, I think. Yeah, they said legalize, regulate, and restrict. It, it was interesting language that they used, and yep. you know, restrict is the kinds of laws that say you have to be eighteen years of age or older, yep. or whatever the rules wind up being. Um, but but I did think it was really interesting that they included that specific point in the throne speech. Um. Yeah, I think that there. Well, there's a lot of people, and this was something that even came up recently provincially. Um, when uh, some member of the Wild Rose was quoted, perhaps out of context, I don't know, but essentially saying, well, we didn't, sure, the the Notley government campaigned on X. We didn't actually expect that they would follow through on it. Yeah, I know. Like, it, was, it was a weird moment of political honesty where a politician was like, what, someone's not being two-faced about something? I couldn't believe that comment. And... Um, it's, I think it's kind of, in a way, the same kind of assumption. It's like, well, okay, you campaigned on legalizing pot, but you're not really going to do it because and that would be... 
that would be weird. And then, well, no, that's actually something we're going to we're going to do. And the argument for it is, I mean, you've heard them all a million times. The one that sticks with me the most, and I can't remember how long ago they did this, but maybe it was 10 years ago, the Globe and Mail did a feature on BC's most um, profitable or highest revenue generating cash crop, and it was marijuana in to the billions of dollars a year. That's billions of dollars that the federal government does not have access to. Correct. Because it's all black market stuff. Well, and there's, I've seen some arguments of people who are like, well, people aren't going to go to a dispensary and pay more when they can go and get it cheap from their dealer. Bullshit. Agreed. Bullshit. Absolutely. We pay for convenience all the time. And there's also something to be said about uh, not wanting to go and deal with criminals. Yeah. Like most law abiding people would, I could, I could go and buy bootleg jeans out of out of somebody's van or in an alcohol alley. or cigarettes, and I'm not going to. Yeah, exactly. Because I'd rather go somewhere that is regulated and licensed and get it not illegally. Yeah, and and know that the quality is there and know that it's not being laced with something. I don't know. Yeah, no, like, it's it's ridiculous that that, that I don't want to find. I don't want to buy jeans made of cardboard. I, basically, I completely understand. Yeah. You need you need something that can stand the rigors of your day. People will pay more as you said, for convenience yep. and for and for the knowledge that they're getting it from a legitimate source. Absolutely agree. And sure, there will be some people who will still go to criminals, but those people are... Criminals Criminals, yeah. yeah. Really, I mean, anyway. Uh, it was and, just... and you might be surprised to know that most people who use marijuana in Canada aren't criminals. No. And the only reason they are it's is because they, use... they have to go and get marijuana. They use marijuana. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll talk all about the legalization of marijuana, I'm sure. In our last episode. Almost certainly. But right now, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with Master Librarian, Kyle Marshall. Adam and Scott do not advocate the use of marijuana or any other recreational drug. But we do advocate the use of libraries. So we've been joined by a very special person uh, in the studio today. We've got Kyle Marshall, Master Librarian, with us. Thanks for coming, Kyle. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, um, we wanted to have you on for a couple reasons. One, WTF Libraries, and we'll come back to that. Oh, interesting. Uh, two, you've listened to the show for a really long time. Yeah, I've been listening to it for about five years now. So it's yeah, it's been a constant kind of connection to the local community that I've I've liked to have for five years or so. I was just going to ask, why the fuck? Would you do that? <laughs> but well, that was a good answer. That was and really then you've answer. been rewarded by being our second to last guest. Yes. Very good. The honor is, is overwhelming, actually. Yes. <laughs> you've made... And the Fast 15, I've been practicing those responses for years now, so I'm, I'm ready. Oh, this, you know what? This, <laughs> this is going to be our fastest 15 yet. Or will it? Because they never you've are. come up with some curveballs for the wildcard questions. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see. So, as I mentioned off the top... Uh, before you got here, Scott and I were, were chatting a little bit about libraries, what the hell. Um, why do they still exist if the internet's still around? Oh, goodness. <laughs> do, you, do you get that question a lot of people like libraries? I think particularly when people start out with uh, doing their master's degree, they're often given that question, you need a master's degree to do that? And uh, first off, it is a very broad master's degree, so there are many different fields that you can go into. But I think that libraries themselves, um, well, their community gathering space, um, They've kind of morphed into many different ways. They're programming spaces where, in which people of all ages can can come and gather and learn new skills and uh, learn from their community as well. Um, you don't get that from the internet. 
Um, we, we do have a lot of electronic resources, however, um, which I'm sure you two are familiar with that, uh, or maybe some of your listeners may be, that are, are starting to open up and expand into the digital age. Mm-hmm. Um, Capital City Records is a new project that Edmonton Public Library is, is undertaking that's kind of highlighting our, our local artists um, and uh, giving them that platform uh, kind of more broadly within the community. So, so they, they're not just uh, storage space for books, obviously. No, and, and I, think, I think collections in some places are definitely going down. Uh, physical collections have, have kind of decreased, but there's, they're more reflective of the community, and I think perhaps part of that is that they're just a bit more responsive and maybe have higher use in that regard now. Are we going to eventually one day see libraries that don't have books in them? There are already libraries that don't have books in them. Uh, I'm, I'm not really a fan of that trend <laughs> necessarily. It feels weird. It would feel really weird, wouldn't it? Well, like, they, these, are, these are called uh, creative commons or, or things like that. These are more common in schools um, and in uh, some institutions in, in the United States in particular. I know in San Antonio they have a, a bookless library. Um, I still think that print has a, has a real place in, in the lives, particularly for early literacy, but throughout our, our lives. But um, yeah, th- that trend has already started. Wow. For, I wouldn't, hopefully it's not a trend. Let's just say it's, it is occurring. Yeah, that, that just feels weird. You can't call it a library then. It's just, it is a resource space or a commons or... A yeah. makerspace or something. Libraries have books in them. Yeah, it is a, it is a repository of paperback books. Not paperback books, just paper books. I don't know what else they'd they be made could, of. There could be paperback books in there. There, there very possibly are. Now, <laughs> there might be a few. Yeah. <laughs> what made you decide to, to pursue a master's in, was it information studies or library sciences or what's it actually called? It's a combination, yeah. So at the U of A uh, here, it's called a master in library and information studies. So it does kind of have that breadth to it. You can go into academic librarianship, you can go into public librarianship, but you can also do things like database management, um, archiving. So it is, a, it is quite a broad degree. Um, I went into it because um, I've always been passionate about access to information um, and intellectual freedom, and those are two core values of the, of the field. Um, I'm also just very interested in community development, and I think libraries are kind of moving into a into that realm a little bit more. You see community librarians uh, at Edmonton Public Library much more frequently now. So, mm-hmm. well, actually every branch has has at least one. So so that's something. And yeah, it's, it just kind of dovetailed a, a lot of my interests and um, into and led me in that career path. Oh, I, was, I didn't mean to stop you, but I was going to say a lot of people, like when, when I hear librarian, I think of a person who takes a cart full of books and puts them on a shelf. <laughs> that woman but, in Ghostbusters. Yes. And, <laughs> and it sounds like it's actually that there's a ton more that goes into it. And you said it's a very broad field. Like, what are all the different things that librarians do? So I'm going to speak from public library's perspective because that's what I've had. As I said, I'm, I've only been a librarian or a guybrarian or a babybrarian. A guy, a guybrarian. <laughs> for about uh, a little over six months now. So I just got my master's in May. So I am still fairly new to the actual profession itself. Um, I'm losing track of the question. Sorry. What, what's what's your day to day look like? Like, what are the tasks that? Oh, you, okay. You so I, I should just note that I'm an intern librarian right now. So I'm actually I don't have a very traditional role. Okay. I I do research. So you did you say intern? Intern librarian. I'm I'm still a librarian, but it isn't. It's a one year internship. Edmonton Public Library does these one year contract positions for new grads, in which they kind of have a research project to kind of improve services in a certain area. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. interesting. So is it? It's almost like a little bit like. Being an engineer in training, like you're, 
you don't have your iron ring yet, or they probably give you what, like a wooden or paper ring of some they kind? They give you, I think, horn-rimmed glasses and, <laughs> and something to tie up your bun with. No, I think that's the old stereotype, which, yeah. which Scott was alluding to. Um, the library has many staff, though, uh, uh, who from with many different backgrounds, ac- uh, academic and educational backgrounds, as well as professional backgrounds. Uh, the librarians, I guess, to call yourself a librarian, you do need the master's degree. Okay. And But the people, for example, who may be shelving books are more likely to be pages... Uh, community librarians, their days are, are incredibly diverse, so they're, they're outreaching with the community, looking to develop programming for them that might be uh, responsive to their needs. That's one of many aspects. So a community librarian would be s- someone who would say, uh, I'm going to develop a program where parents bring their kids and we read in the afternoon or something like that. Like- they do more program development. I think most of the programs are actually delivered by library assistants, so that's the vast majority of our staff. Those right. are LAs. That's who you'll see on the floor helping helping people most of the time. And did you refer to the people restocking the shelves? Did you actually say pages? Yes. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah, um, we have student pages as and adult pages as well. Yeah. Wow, wow. I, I imagine that profession is shrinking. Yes. At, at public libraries, certainly, I would think. Yeah, it, it, they're more specialized roles now. So perhaps in the past, librarians, or in small libraries, uh, librarians would do that work. But now they're a bit more specialized. They're doing more leadership, management, um, collections development, as opposed to, I guess, the more daily customer service interactions. Mm-hmm. Though that's still embedded into the work because it is important to kind of uh, retain a, a certain understanding of how that works. Yeah, for sure. Now, okay, you, you said you're an intern librarian right now. And that those people, these people, Kyle people, work yeah. on special projects. That's right, yeah. So what have you been working on? Can you, can you share any of, of that course, with us? Of course, yeah. So I, hopefully it will be published eventually. Uh, I'm the school-age services intern librarian. So school-age services is very broad. It would be uh, any services for anyone aged 5 to 18. Oh. Uh, so pretty much the first thing we had to do is kind of uh, focus our topic because it was, it was too broad to actually do a, a meaningful research um, project that would, that would have good outcomes. Okay. So I'm actually focusing on tweens, which is 9 to 14-year-olds. I hate that term, tweens. Um, it's, but it's awful. It, it is really awful. Have you ever heard someone say that, you know, I'm just hanging out with my tweens? Like, <laughs> that, it, it's, it doesn't happen. It almost sounds derogatory. Yeah, in a, in a sense. It's, unfortunately, it is the, the I guess, the, the term that is used within the profession. So I'm going with that. So we're, we're, I'm focusing on tweens after school. So hours three to six, the critical hours kind of is what they're called. And what are you, what are you doing to sort of work with them? What, what kind of programming are you developing? Sure. So um, I'm doing research to kind of uncover their needs. So first I did a lot of uh, look into our, our current services and how we're, what, what's kind of, what type of activities are occurring in our spaces. So I did something called seating sweeps in which I kind of roved around and saw what type of tweens we had, like their gender, what they were doing, what kind of grouping they were in in our spaces. Um, I also logged all interactions between staff and those tweens to kind of see what kind of questions they were asking and maybe who is initiating those interactions. Okay. Uh, and now I'm, I'm doing more uh, exploratory research with the population. So I'm starting to run focus groups with, with kids those ages, which is very fun and very interesting, <laughs> uh, as well as with uh, doing interviews with rec program leaders, um, uh, teachers, and students in the future. How are tweens using libraries? Because it goes back to the question, you know, Everything they need is usually on some kind of device. You would well, think. and they would have grown up with the miracle of the internet yeah. as well. That's right. Yeah, and it is quite interesting. It's um, I'd say from my seating sweeps, I guess I found that about half of the tweens in our spaces after school are on the computer. So that's not necessarily uh, surprising. A lot of them, though, are spending long, extended hours in the library playing games for for many hours, and so like 
they're moving into a realm in which perhaps their needs are, are, are a little bit more demanding than than specific needs that the library can fulfill. Yeah. So yeah. they're yeah, there is almost like an extended childcare. I don't want to quite say that, but uh, they're spending very long hours in our spaces. So that's one group. Um, there are other groups who pop in, get holds with their parents, or they spend some time going to our programs. We do have prog- programs for that ages as well. Are you finding there is this sort of culture of um, you know? call them legacy library users that are trying to encourage their children, their tweens, yeah. to come to the library? I would say so. Um, the library, it's, it's funny because uh, with this research, what happens is usually right around this age group, this is when they stop going to the library mm. quite as much. Then in the teens, it, it goes down, and then in early adulthood, it often plummets a little bit. And then what you see is when people have children is when their use, as well as you know, they bring their children to the library, and then the, the family's pattern changes again. And so... Yeah, that's that is something maybe that is that is happening in our spaces. Um, some people encourage more traditional library use, which is more for print literacy um, and those type of programs. But some people also are looking at the library for the makerspace, more high tech programs um, that we're kind of becoming known for. And that those all those spaces are up for grabs in the work that you do. Like you're analyzing people everywhere in the library. Right? That's right. Yeah. So it, I'm looking at program use as well as I guess whatever type of activity that they're using it for. Yeah, and it's been interesting actually talking to the community already. You, you have very differing opinions as to what the library should and can be used for. Does that mean that you, you're not staying in one particular branch or, you, or are you sort of traveling all over the city? I, I have been traveling all over the city and that's part of, you know, I'm, I'm doing research to, to see to, and make sure that I'm understanding the different de- demographics that use our spaces. Um, it's been very fun, very interesting. I'm housed out of Milner, which is downtown, so I'm, I'm actually not embedded in the library. Okay. I'm in an office, but I'm getting out to do research in those different branches. Have you seen different use in uh, different, what's what I'm looking for, ages of library? Like older libraries that might uh, not be more modern getting mm-hmm. used differently than brand new branches that are being opened up that are sleek and high-tech Apple stores, basically? <laughs> That's interesting. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I haven't, I haven't thought, uh, I didn't break down my data in that, in that manner, but that's an interesting question. Um, Calder, for example, is an older branch that is kind of new and, sorry, that is, that is uh, up for an upgrade soon. They're, they're building a new library right away here. Um, but, you know, the, the tweens were still on the computers in that space. Um, it can be a factor of the, of the demographics of the neighborhood, perhaps even more than the actual space. Hmm. Um, but Millwood's library is, is brand new. Um, it's a gorgeous space, and people are using that in all, all types of ways. So I, I don't think I could actually say that there's one way that people are using those new libraries. Are you seeing uh, differences in use based upon, like, socioeconomic status and stuff like that? It's, see, it, it's hard for me to say because I wasn't asking that directly. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't know. The, the research is still very early, so I, I'm not quite sure how much I can, I can say for sure right now. Fair enough. Now, yeah. But you did, you did recently publish a, a paper. Yes. Uh, which, which I actually found. You did? I did. Where did you find it? Uh, I downloaded the PDF. I just did a search of your name and the title of it, and I got it. Let me just see if I can find the website again. Google is a modern miracle. Yeah, I, yeah. It'll I, find anything. I Googled actually the name of the journal and the title of the paper. Really? Yes. So I found it on the, in the U of A's oh, ERA. ERA, yeah. So that's, um, that's the, the institutional deposit repository at the U of A, yeah. Right. So, so Kyle wrote this paper. It's called Sex in the Stacks, Teenager <laughs> Sex Education Information Seeking Behaviors, Behavior. And Barriers to the Use of Library Resources. Yes, a, a very lovely, long, and pedantic title. <laughs> well, but like highly descriptive. I know exactly what you were doing. 
How do teenagers look up sex, inf- sex ed information in libraries? Yeah, it, it was kind of a two-part study. So, and I'll, I'll say it was a pilot study. So I only did have four participants. So it was, it was minor. It was for a graduate study um, course. Um, but yeah, so the one part was kind of barriers uh, and use of the library itself. And the other was just to understand how they, how they find information about sex and how they assess it. Um, to see if it's credible or reliable for, for their uses. So the way that I learned about sex was through a book in my parents' den called The Joy of Sex. I, I think I've heard of that title. So so this is like one of those books that I think that people who had kids in the 60s and 70s, all their parents had them, or 60s, 70s, and 80s, rather. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was illustrated, it was de- descriptive, it was excellent. And, and, and at the time, it provided, you know, something private and personal for you to actually, you know, take aside and look at on your own without maybe having an awkward conversation with your parents, <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I, I took a book out from the library um, when I was a kid, I remember. And yeah, I learned a lot about sex from that book. <laughs> but now, of course, people are using the internet much more frequently. So what did you find when you were chatting with these, uh, these four subjects? Knowing <sighs> that it's a pilot study, of course. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I found... Um, well, first off, that they use a variety of information sources. That, that probably isn't surprising to anyone. Uh, they talk to people. They learn about it from the media. They look at the internet for it. Um, and they also learn about it in class, believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. So they do. It's not, uh, not hard to find sex-related material on the internet. I'm told. Material. <laughs> I'm told. Material. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure, like, but, like, at that age, are they, did you do any, did you dive deep into... Um, like what exactly they were looking for? It's, well, they got a bit shy. I, I didn't know these kids. It's um, tough, right? Well, it's quite interesting too because one of the reasons I wanted to do the study is I was very curious at the role that kind of the prevalence of pornography is having on on young children and sorry, more teens, I should say, not young children. Yeah. Um, and perhaps how that is changing their behavior and how they're assessing that as a, as a source. But no one talked about that. So, so that's. Uh, that's understandable. Maybe they were a little bit more private in that regard. Some were, some were a bit more ex- explicit about what they had learned, but that wasn't the intention of the study. Um, it was more to understand how they assess that information as opposed to the, the real explicit stuff that they were. <laughs> so if I were doing the study, <clears throat> the, my conclusions would just be a series of links of great websites to find pornography on. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do you go about even finding participants for a study like this? It's a t- touchy subject. Yes, very. Pardon the pun. Well, especially especially <laughs> with people who are below the age of consent. Yeah. When you're talking about that kind of subject. <laughs> hey, are your parents around? No, great. I'm going to talk to you. About <laughs> <laughs> if only it were that easy. Well, yeah. maybe it, okay, it's good it's not that easy, but um yeah, that's been a real pain in the ass for me, I guess is <laughs> but it's important to get consent. Uh, of course. And so like the research I've done with children now, tweens and the research I did with teens before, of course, all required consent from their parents. Um this one uh, for the sex in the stacks, I did kind of do convenient sampling. Eventually, I had ideas that I was going to go through the school board and have this perfect recruitment process that would sample for dem- very you know diverse demographics. But basically, my partner is a teacher, and I got his his past students um, <laughs> who were who were interested and willing, of course, to to take part in the research. That's good. That would have been tough. I think even like going to the school boards and saying I want to do this, uh, public school might be a little bit less of a barrier, <laughs> but like. It's, you know, as soon as you, I think you say sex education, people sort of uh, get their backs up a little bit. For sure. Yeah, so, definitely. Tough. Yeah. Uh, what else did you find in your studies? Yeah, so um, the internet was the most frequently used source, which is, which is not necessarily surprising. I'm using some crib notes because it's been about a year it's since quite I've right. talked about this. No, it's good. Um, 
I guess one interesting finding is is the way that they checked reliability of the source. So um, quite often they would, you know, we we think that that young people aren't necessarily uh, very. I guess savvy about the internet. Maybe they are in some ways, but they don't understand the credibility of their sources. But but these these teens were all opening up multiple tabs to kind of check a consistent stream of information. Really? Um, yeah, I was wow. I was I was very impressed. Um, I'm sure they're not doing that all the time, but that's this is the information that I was given. Um, but when you compare that to the credibility of an interpersonal uh, information sharing, so say someone just uh, an older sister or brother had told them uh, what they knew about sex. They would just kind of assume that that person's a cognitive authority and be say that's fine, it's good, I'll go with that. As opposed to my my older sibling is clearly the authority on this subject. <laughs> my older brother said he had sex with a hundred people. <laughs> he knows everything about sex, but I mean it's a, it's what you'd expect to find probably based on whatever they were trying to study information on. It wouldn't necessarily have to be sexual behavior or anything like that. Yeah, and, and there have been studies that have, that have corroborated that, regardless of whether it's sex. People kind of take, well, I heard one time that, you know, they, <laughs> yeah. they don't go on and look it up. And it would also be kind of rude uh, to, to just take out your phone and, and fact check someone every time they say something. <laughs> I do that with everything that comes out of Adam's mouth. Yeah, he's, he, I'm surprised you're not holding your phone right now. Yeah, basically. I mean, uh, science says that Scott is an idiot. <laughs> so fact check that one, you jerk. Oh, I'm changing his Wikipedia. Oh, you're wrong. Okay, so that's great. Um, my Wikipedia page <laughs> says that you're incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> my Wikipedia page, which I wrote and posted on the, it yeah. just says Adam is wrong. Yep, that's what it's basically. Says. Now, um, the this the, you're saying this is a pilot study. Is is this um, a branch of study you're going to continue to pursue? It is pretty niche. Um, there aren't any uh, sex education teen librarian positions that I've seen uh, <laughs> opening up recently. Um, that doesn't mean that it's, it's something I'm not passionate about. Um, I recently reviewed a book um, called This Book is Gay. And while that is a bit more specific to a certain area of sex education, I, I think it's really vital that that type of information is, is available to young kids. That was, there was actually a recently a, a bit of a controversy about that book in, in Alaska. Thankfully, we don't have those as, as often in Canada. Yeah, no kidding. And Sarah Palin's hometown, are you shocked? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She probably found the book and was like, this is all fucked. Exactly. Um, yeah, so it's something I think that will inform my uh, the way that I approach the profession going forward. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's not necessarily going to kind of constrain what I can do. Yeah. Well, you said something really interesting earlier, which is, you know, becoming, you use the phrase sex education librarian. Um, with some of the discussion that's been taking place at school boards around uh, the way that sex education is taught, particularly when it comes to consent and those kinds of things, mm -hmm. is that a resource that we need? Like, I mean, some of what you're researching would probably illuminate whether it, or not it is, but like, are, should we be relying on schools to relate this information? And if so, or if not, should libraries be helping with that or supplementing it somehow? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think, um, you're not going to get all your information from the classroom. Uh, you can't. It's it's just too broad based. So they basically they kind of shoot uh, to to kind of meet the the most common relationship that they can think of. So you know it's it's very heteronormative. It's kind of has this hegemonic ideals kind of built into place. Um, anyways, regardless, uh, so you you need resources like the library to be able to provide that, or of course the internet. They're going to undertake. Um, searching in the, in their own hands. Um, so having something that is kind of credible, that doesn't kind of constrain what they can look at, but provides many options for kids is is very important. Yeah. Um, also the controversies uh, when someone is undertaking their own information seeking as opposed to something that's built into curriculum is going to be a little bit less, um, less so, I think. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That's really interesting. Now, um, w what's next for you? If you're a library intern 
you've got you've done you're doing some research. You're yeah. helping with programming. What what's what's your ultimate goal in your career? Where do you see yourself in oh, five gosh. years? It's like a job interview. I didn't know that's uh, that's what I was coming in for. <laughs> that's um, how we roll here. Well, I, my contract finishes up in May, in yeah in early May. Um, I'd love to stay in the city. I think you know Brady has a job here, my partner right now, and so we're we're looking to stay in the city for a few years at least. Um, so yeah, looking within the region, probably within public libraries. Um, and I think I alluded to, I'm really interested in this community librarianship. Uh, these types of positions are, are really social. You're working with the community very much and it's a very diverse work day. And so that's kind of what I look for now. And then, you know, I, I, I like uh, management uh, type work. And so, you know, in the future, but that's, that's not the next step for me. Fair enough. That's really interesting. Wow. Who knew that libraries could be so interesting? <laughs> Yes, that you could find wonderful things in your library. Yeah, and we've we've barely scratched the surface, by the way. Like, if you have a library card for the EPL, which you, they were giving away, I think you can still get them for free. They are free, and I think there are no plans to ever reinstate a fee. In fact, um, I think Alberta—I may be wrong—I think Alberta and maybe Quebec are the only provinces that have any jurisdictions in which you can pay for a library card. Everywhere else, it's free. So, oh, didn't realize that. Um, but yeah, of course, it's yeah, it's free in Edmonton, and it will be for the foreseeable future. You have no excuse not to go and get a library card. Yeah, like right now you can use it to access the coolest stuff online. You like, can you can pause the show. Go get a library card and then come back and finish the rest of the show. We won't mind. We won't even know. Is no. this the point at which we shame? Does Adam not have a library? Card? No, I do. I totally oh, okay. have a library card. I absolutely do. <laughs> that's that's very relieving. I've I've heard um, a really fun little rhyme once, and it's uh, having fun isn't hard if you have a library card, and <laughs> it's cute. But it's 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 simple and true though. There's yeah. so many resources for any type of person there. Yeah, I know. Yeah, there's there's tons of stuff you can get from video games to online training programs. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. The educational courses online are fantastic. So now you know that the first question we asked you, which was basically libraries WTF, was us being facetious. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe being, yeah, a little bit um, controversial to get things going, yeah, right? Yeah, that's how we do it. And you would know, you've listened to us for five years. That's right. And I, I've, yeah, it's part of the great part of the show. <laughs> awesome. Well, and here's another thing that you would know about. The Fast 15. Very same. So, Kyle, welcome to the Fast 15. Thank you very much. It's nice to be here. I, I assure that people just heard the really fun little... <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did, right? Well, I presume so. Post-production, of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, as someone who's listened to the show frequently, you mentioned upon coming, you've been practicing Oh gosh! Yeah. for the Fast 15. You've, you've got your answers ready to go. Would you prefer it to be super fast, or do you want... To, there's also, you know, rationale behind questions... Let's see how this goes. Uh, quite often, <laughs> it's I, never as fast as we kind of suggest that it's when, going to be. Whenever I reach a question or, or an answer from someone that I, I find unusual, I'm usually like, "Explain yourself." So maybe we'll get there. Sure. Or maybe you'll just be mundane. Oh gosh, who knows? Anything but hopefully. But here we go: the Fast Fifteen with Kyle Marshall, quite possibly the fastest ever fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> Starting with number one, your favorite food. Oh. It's already going to get slow. It's so hard. I'm going to go with pizza just because I can't think of anything else. But awesome. It's so hard. All right. Your favorite color. Oh, I didn't. Was this one? Blue? Uh, Mac, PC, or Linux? Um, politically, I want to say Linux, but I, I like PC. Right. Sorry, Mac. Mac. Oh, definitely. This is not going well for you. <laughs> okay. Dogs or cats? Uh, cats to have, to own, and dogs to visit, I'd say. Uh, coffee or tea? Tea. I don't drink coffee. Favorite holiday? Christmas, because uh, Brady and I both get to see our families. Favorite sport? 
uh, to play volleyball, um, to watch soccer, which is, will surprise many. And you're in a, you're in a volley, rec volleyball league. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you guys, are you guys kicking ass? Uh, we're okay. Um, yeah, we're nowhere else. We, we it's a very political answer. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> we reach the finals, but we don't win. Usually. Oh, yeah. Well, that's pretty good. Um, favorite pastime? Pastime. Reading. How predictable. I know. It's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, favorite show to binge watch on Netflix? I'd say right now we're watching Masters of None. Uh, the Wire isn't available on Netflix, so I can't say that. I know. Ugh. Much to my dismay. Your favorite movie? Uh, the Godfather. Wow. Yeah. Have we ever heard that one before? Probably. Yeah. It's been like, like six ago, years. Yeah. Um, have we ever heard that one before, Kyle? <laughs> oh, gosh. You think I know? <laughs> no, I'm going to say yes. Okay. Awesome. Uh, your favorite video game? Uh, Mario Kart 64. Uh, if you could have one superhero, a superpower, what would it be? Uh, teleportation. I think I'd like to travel. Is that a superhero? Power. I think yeah. so. Yeah. I'm sure it's been used before too. It was actually something that you could do, or that someone could do in the TV show Heroes. Ah, there you go. So it's that's it's, it's, it's got to be. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? I'm gonna break. I'm sorry. I just oh. you know I need to watch Star Trek. I I I like the movies that I've seen, and I know I like the show. But because I watched more Star Wars, I'm gonna have to go with Star Wars. I'm so, so sorry. That's okay. So how excited are you for for the Force Awakens? Pretty excited. I'm not a mega fan, but like. 12-year-old me would have been super pumped, but, you know, 29-year-old me is excited. I'll see it, but I'm not that excited about it. Yeah. Fair enough. Here we go with your wild card questions. Your favorite book. Oh, that's, you know, I just read an incredible book called The Little Life. Sorry, A Little Life by Hanya Ganagahara. It's uh, it's a massive tome that is just um, so emotionally gutting. Really? Um, so I'll, I'll say that for now because I just finished it and it was incredible. Now, this might not be a great wild card question because the answer might be the same as your previous one, but I suspect it isn't. What's your most recommended book? Like the book that you recommend to people read the most? Yeah, because I just finished that. Um, I read a fantastic YA book last year called uh, I'll Give You the Sun by Jandy Nelson, YA being young adult uh, fiction. Just a really beautiful split narrative of two twins, sorry, two, uh, two twins that were kind of growing apart and uh, you know, this traumatic event that that led them to grow apart and it was really beautiful so I recommend that to a lot of people because YA is fun for people who read less frequently the funny thing about young adult books is, is that uh, the category was it created entirely for marketing purposes yeah yep. and quite recently right yeah yep. yeah. yeah. so people who think that they're only for young adults are insane you should read young adult fiction or non-fiction whatever like it's good stuff and, and I think circulating and purchasing trends will show you that it's it's mostly read by not young adults I, I bet you're probably right about yeah. that yeah <laughs> I'm pretty sure that there weren't many young adults who read the whole Twilight thing. Yeah. Yeah. Twilight. I have not read Twilight. Good. Good man. <laughs> Master librarian Kyle Marshall, it was a pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to actually be here and see how the magic is, is made. Now, now you've seen us make the sausage. <laughs> <laughs> we, we actually just had a sausage party with Kyle. It was awesome. This is a really great time. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, episode 124. Our guest, Kyle Marshall. Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart. Post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening.
Do you find it's? Uh, do you find that you clam up if you're interviewed about something, even though you've been doing this show for many years? Sometimes it really depends on the topic. The, Fair la- enough. the last time that I was uh, that I got to, that I had to do an interview uh, was on Global, mor- the Global Morning Show, because I was doing this thing with the Alumni Association. And thankfully, the woman that was on with me from the Alumni Association didn't understand that you have to answer in very short sentences on television. And she went on for like two minutes, and then they're like, great, segment's over. And I was like, yes. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have to say anything. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, I, do, I don't enjoy being interviewed. 